Hi, this is Mark Wallstrom, and you are listening to Speaking of Justice, and it's brought to you by the Legal Broadcast Network, the nation's premier independent news, commentary, and educational broadcasting platform for lawyers. LBN is a certified news provider for most major news and uh, search engines, and we provide unique featured commentator programs for lawyers who want to integrate quality video, commentary, and educational content into their firm's marketing, branding, and client outreach programs in a way that meets bar association ethical standards. To learn more about the Legal Broadcast Network, go to LegalBroadcastNetwork.com. Well, we've got a great guest today, and this is uh, episode two of the relaunch, Speaking of Justice, and uh, I'm very excited to announce we will be speaking with the legendary Jerry Spence uh, when we go into our second segment. Uh, Most people... Uh, who are in the legal profession know who Jerry Spence is. And there may be some younger listeners who have heard of him but are not familiar with him and not acquainted with him. Uh, Just a tremendous trial lawyer. Uh, He's uh, the founder of the Spence Law Firm, formerly Spence Moriarty & Schuster. Uh, He, along with his wife, uh, founded the Trial Lawyers College in uh, Dubois, uh, Dubois, I should say, uh, Wyoming. Those guys in Wyoming are particular about that. Uh, there's a history in the <laughs> uh, Du Bois was named, and uh, it and Jerry is a prolific author. Uh, over 12 books, among them uh, "Gunning for Justice," uh, "With Justice for None," "From Freedom to Slavery," the "Making of a Country Lawyer," and now his most recent publication, which we're going to discuss with Jerry today, which is "Police State." Uh, Police State is uh, was just published. Uh, did they believe it just came out in September, October of this year? So it is extremely current. It's uh, published by St. Martin's Press. Uh, you can uh, get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can get it in your bookstores. I picked up my copy at the bookstore. I'm old school. I didn't order it online. And uh, you know, it is a it is a fascinating read, and it is an extremely timely uh, book. It is a look at how America's cops get away with murder. Now, just today, when we are taping this, uh, we see the spectacle of the Chicago Police Department uh, really coming unraveled in some degrees. The mayor of Chicago uh, giving an almost tearful apology, talking about police reform, uh, issues related to uh, the, the tragic shooting deaths of young black men in that city, that were caught on camera and have become uh, just a, uh, a disaster and a disgrace for that police department. Uh, we see the trial going on today of the police in the Freddie Gray trial in Baltimore. And there is a wave of acknowledgement and a sense uh, in conservatives and liberals and libertarians and ordinary citizens that the police forces in the United States have, uh, have, have, have gotten out of control, that we have reached a point where the police are no longer public servants, but they are our masters. And the same goes for uh, you know, prosecutors, uh, the courts, for-profit prisons. And, and Jerry's book, I'm just telling you, it could not be more timely. I can't recommend it highly enough. And uh, we're, we're, we want to talk with him today. Uh, about kind of the scope of his career, but, you know, he's written books at various stages and various times in U.S. history. You know, some were in the uh, late 70s, some in the 80s, some in the 90s. I mean, he's written and observed the American legal and political system and the criminal justice system for well over 50 years. 
and uh, his perspective uh, I think is invaluable and you know one of the things we want to talk about uh, and speaking of justice and one of the reasons we have this show and one of the reasons that we're excited about bringing it to you is having more long-form discussions with people where we don't really come at things with an agenda but we want to uh, promote discussions in areas around the U.S. justice system, around the U.S. Constitution, around the Bill of Rights, around the U.S. legal system that simply don't get talked about. And, uh, you know, Jerry's books, if you read them and have uh, been to his uh, trial or his college, if you have uh, had the opportunity to see, you know, one of his many, you know, uh, presentations and speeches to trial lawyers, this is a, an area that he has talked about and has discussed for years and decades. And, uh, you know, I, I won't I won't beat it to death. We're just going to turn it over to Jerry when we come back from the break and uh, let you all learn a little bit more about it. Uh, those of you who are his fans are going to enjoy it. Uh, those of you who have never had the opportunity to uh, hear Jerry uh, discuss his views and ideas, uh, we just want you to listen in. Uh, soak it all in, and uh, we'll uh, be back to you after the break. Okay, this is Mark Wallstrom. We are back uh, with Speaking of Justice, and I am joined on the phone uh, by the uh, legendary Jerry Spence. Jerry, thank you for uh, joining us today. It's going to be my pleasure, hopefully. Well, I hope so, too. Uh, as you know, I'm, uh, I always tell people, I said, I try to be objective, but I'm an unabashed uh, fan of uh, Jerry Spence. I read your first book, uh, Gunning for Justice, uh, back in the early 80s, and it had a profound impact on some of my professional decisions. And, uh, you know, Jerry's a, a trial lawyer, uh, an author, a lecturer. He founded uh, the Trial Lawyers College, uh, you know, and, and, and Jerry, one of the things we've talked about, and you, you know, you've had a remarkable career as a trial lawyer. Uh, you've written over 12 books. Uh, you've started a trial lawyer's college that is thriving. And, you know, I, I find people all the time who say it's been a professional and life-changing event to go there. And you've spent your lifetime defending the rights of people, ordinary citizens, uh, people who are facing injustice, imprisonment, economic loss. And, you know, anybody would look at this and say, you know, you've done your share. You know, why at this point in your life uh, take on a book of this scope and on this topic? Uh, you know, what compels you at this time in your life and this point in your career to take on this work? Well, you know, uh, we've been sensitized to simply accept what, accept what goes on in our country as especially in the justice system, is something that is reflected by current television. Yeah. By the stories that we see on television that entertain us. The mm -hmm. cops are always right. Um, they're, they're, the, 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 it's, uh, there aren't any real uh, provisions on television for that, that show the side of, of the defense attorney. Yes. And so, I, I inter interestingly enough, I've become a sort of uh, of um, a member of that 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 metal set mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. But just as far as being an observer of these shows, and we kind of get indoctrinated into this idea that all is well. 
And then after Freddie Gray in Baltimore and his ride to death, mm. and and after the killing of Walter Scott, with uh, shot numerous times in the back as he ran. Mm. And then there was Eric Garner, who died of a chokehold. Yes. And Michael Brown shot six times. Mm. Uh, in, and, and they were all black men, most, and they were all unarmed, and most were running. And suddenly, I said to myself, what, what is going on in America? Yeah. And then I began to realize something about my own life. I realized that I had never represented a person charged in a court of law, either state or federal. Now listen to this. In which the police, including the FBI, hadn't themselves violated the law. Wow. And on one or more than one occasions, even even the crime of murder. Uh, that, that I realized that that had been my experience. And I, I, I thought to myself, could this possibly hint at what is going on in America in the courtrooms today? Mm. And since that time, of course, there's come an endless further stream of daily killings by the cops and our, of our citizens. Almost every day, most poor, mostly poor, mostly without power, mostly often black. Yeah. Jerry, when when we we look at these things, and it, I was talking with somebody today, and uh, you know, you're 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 not a kid. I'm not a kid. We both look back over years and decades, and uh, heard someone remark. They said this is one of the most troubling times, really, in American history, as far as the the legal system that they can remember. And when we look at the last 24 months and the events that happened in the last week, and see these young men gunned down. Um, you know, and then with the the terrible tragedy in San Bernardino last week, uh, you know, with the what is now a, a terrorist attack, uh, people being uh, murdered, and all of a sudden people jump up and say, "Well, you know, we need to have uh, more police. We need to have uh, greater restrictions of freedom. You know, we need to bring these NSA phone sweeps back in and warrantless invasions of privacy." Is this one of the most dangerous times in your recollection uh, regarding the liberty of Americans uh, that you can remember? Well, I think it, I think yes, I think you say that correctly. I think it is one of the most dangerous times in American history. I think we are on the brink of a police state if we haven't already arrived there. Yeah. And fear is something, Mark, that breeds our need for protection. Right. Well, you, Too many, uh, maybe most of us are uh, willing to give up their sacred rights of freedom as the price for protection. I uh, I hear people say every day, good citizens, uh, I've got nothing to hide. Uh, hmm. So uh, it's all right to deprive me of my rights if you, if you can only just make me free, free of fear, if you can only take to make me safe. I think we hear people like Trump mm -hmm. um, following the very proposals that led to the Third Reich in Nazi Germany. 
Well, and that's and, and that's a that's a fascinating thing because I've told people I said you know when you it, it you worry about that one event and people look at it and say well you know 9/11 uh, which was a catastrophe and you look at the civil liberty restrictions and the things that were given away uh, under the you know the Patriot Act and you know you look back at Nazi Germany and you know the event uh, was the burning of the Reichstag well you know. Uh, we, we have to impose restrictions on civil liberties and the rule of law uh, in order to uh, keep us safe. You know, I mean, is it is that the type of thing that you fear at this point? Because we, we do have this police state. We have this militarized presence among us that uh, really isn't answering to us anymore. Oh, Trump, Trump is saying the very same sort of things that that uh, Hitler said. Mm-hmm. You know, Trump is saying, make America great. Well, that's, of course, everybody wants to make America great. But that's how Hitler began his campaign. And then, of course, Hitler blamed the Jews for any problems, mm-hmm. and Trump blames the Muslims. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Trump is uh, for deporting our foreigners, as was Hitler. Right. And Trump wants a very strong military. I think many people would agree with that. But, mm-hmm. but he wants to dominate the world with our military, as did Hitler. And so, uh, and Trump finds most of his supporters, I think, among the uneducated, as did Hitler. So, yeah. So, um, the, and the more the press hollers about him. Mm-hmm. And the more the politicians holler about him, the stronger he gets. So the question is, are we looking at the new Fuhrer? Yeah, yeah and, and, and Jerry, it, it, I'll, I'll get to one of these, because I want to follow up on that in my, my next question. But first I want to ask you one thing that really is tied to this, which is, and, and I, I'm a historian, you're, you're a historian, uh, obviously, and, and we tend to look at things across the broad sweep of history because, uh, so I was telling someone the other day, human behavior doesn't really change, uh, you know, the, the, but the, the names and faces and the elements do. That's very well said. That's, that's very, very true. Yeah. And, 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 and when we look at things like Ferguson and last week in San Bernardino, and we see what looks like not a small army, but substantial armies. I mean, the, the force that has rolled out, the firepower. And and you're from Wyoming. People own guns. People are familiar with weaponry. Uh, you know, uh, us in the West, we have a little bit of a different, uh, you know, uh, feeling about and respect for firearms and how they're used and how people have, you know, have make, make them part of their life. But when we look at these things, and, and you, you bring this up in police state, you, know, you discuss the administrative and judicial power that has grown uh, almost like uh, unchecked and, and really unobserved uh, by most Americans. Uh, but does the militarization of the police serve to purposely intimidate citizens and create this us versus them mentality? And you, you talk in the book, and I want people to go back and remember this, but Randy Weaver and what happened to him up at Ruby Ridge? And that was 1993. That's you know over 20, you know 20, almost 25 years ago. Uh, but you know this, the firepower brought by our police forces. Do you think it's purposely designed to intimidate people, or is it just something that has grown because nobody has questioned why we need to build these private armies inside our country? 
Well, you say, is it purposely to intimidate? I don't know that they developed that 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 the, that the militariza- militarization of the police was undertaken to intimidate the people mm-hmm. um, and to create an, a, a us versus them mentality. But I will say that the that that we have become militarized yeah. now. That creates a different kind of America than we really want or that we most most of us really think we have. Mm-hmm. The militarization of the of, of the American police with its uh, corresponding, let's say, indomitable power over the people brings on a vision of a police state. Yes, it does. Remember the German people who actively or passively supported the rise of the Third Reich. Mm-hmm. If we listen, you can almost just listen. You can almost hear the Fuhrer laughing. Mm-hmm. And if we listen, do we hear what history has tried to teach us? That when the police become the military, yeah. the people become the enemy. Yeah, and I, and I think that was the thing that shocked people about Ferguson. When they saw those clips on TV of what looked like a massive military presence that was just the local police, uh, I think it stunned a lot of people to realize that these police departments have gotten billions of dollars of surplus Pentagon and military material that's and, right. And, you know, when when you see the police ru- running around in tanks, yeah. armored cars, yeah, with all kinds of military equipment, and uh, and the police looking like soldiers, um, well, doesn't doesn't that say say it all? It does. And you know, and and I'll tell you, it's difficult for me because I have uh, family members, very close family members, who are career law enforcement and police officers. And we always look at these things, and I think you do a great job in the epilogue of your book. You you open it up by saying that, you know, we're, we're not looking at this as being anti-police, but somebody has to talk about these parallels in history and these disturbing trends. And I, th- I think you've done a tremendous job in the book, and a brilliant job in the book, you know, sounding the alarm. Uh, but let me kind of switch a little bit more to a, a kind of a hopeful point, uh, at least a hopeful point, but do you think that the actions that citizens can take, uh, ordinary citizens, ordinary Americans can take, can begin to change this, or have we simply lost control that we can't get back? Uh, and, and we talk about these cameras. You, you have a great uh, idea of, you know, you have some very good common sense reforms, you know, requiring cameras during interrogations, requiring cameras on the police. I'll talk about that in a minute. But, yeah. but your first question is, what actions can citizens take to bring about change? Mm. Well, uh, I, I question may be: Do the people, the may, the people, the voting public, do the does the voting public even understand that there is a need for a change? Yeah, I mean, so much of this rests with the media. Now, 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 I know you are part of the media, mm-hmm. and you embrace the media, as do I. Mm-hmm. 
That is from its stand, from the standpoint of a free media in this country. Yeah. But who owns the major media in this country? The major media in this country is owned by corporate America, of course, mm -hmm. and it is a profit-making, profit-seeking set of institutions, and the media, the major media, informs and educates our people. Right, it does. And so the people have to become re-informed and re-educated, and who will do that? Where is the media? Where is the means by which that can be can be accomplished. Um, individual rights, mm -hmm. um, not cops who fought crime, must become the theme. You know, it, it, we ought to be able to open up the television and see ordinary people fighting for their rights. We ought to see we ought to see lawyers fighting, taking on cases against the power structure to fight for the rights of people. There aren't any people's heroes fighting. Uh, crooked cops on television. There aren't any defense attorneys who are fighting to preserve our rights on any of the shows. Yeah. And and by the way, Mark, we have to stop children playing war games. Mm -hmm. That's all they play anymore are war, war games. You, they can't find a, a game on which the heroes are the citizens fighting for their individual rights and freedoms under the Constitution. It's true. When you look at the, the video games, they're all militaristic uh, shooter games uh, and people who... So we are raising up warriors, killers, and and um, a people who support a warring nation. And indeed we have and are, have become and are a warring nation. You know, you, you, now you wanted to talk, I thought I heard you say about what, we can do to kind of get this thing straightened out. Yeah, and and, and does social media have a role? I mean, you, you brought up a point just now that you know most of the major media is owned by uh, the people who have a vested interest in in the power structure being maintained. That's uh, right. But social media, when we look at these situations where uh, we talked about, if we didn't have these dash cams, if we didn't have citizens with a phone, uh, you know, and I, I mentioned in our our pre-conversation before we went on the air, I said cell phone cameras aren't identifying any new issues. Uh, they're simply a new media tool that's revealing an existing old problem of, of police abuse, people being forced into co uh, confessions, uh, you know, uh, beatings, uh, and and these things have gone on uh, unchecked uh, until you, you build up this anger that we see in these communities but the social media uh, and even even a show like this, the ability for us to actually sit down, talk, and then distribute this freely to get your book in the hands of people who can begin to read it and begin to think rather than taking their 30-second sound bites on the news. Do, do you think we have a real role in that? Does it make you optimistic a little bit that some of that power does get put back in the hands of people? Well, it's not. We are not hope, but uh, but it, but. But to, we have to have a peaceful revolution. Mm -hmm. And before we can have a peaceful revolution, that is a revolution that puts the rights, the major rights of the people in the hands of the people. It means that our rights uh, become more important to us than our safety. 
and uh, that people recognize that without the rights of, a, of an American, without those rights pre- being preserved, that we'll soon be, if we're not already lost. So I think to begin with, we've, if we start to look at some simple st- steps that we can take, um, it would be very right to say we are not going to have any more forced confessions, all police interrogations from from the first hello of the officer to the last goodbye has to be videotaped, every word, mm-hmm. absent which any evidence of of any admissions or confessions will be held inadmissible at trial against the person who's been accused. See, what happens is, is Mark, is that the interrogating officer sets this guy down, the, the accused down in a chair in the room by himself or with a couple of other officers there. He's scared. He's not represented. Um, he, uh, they begin to er- interrogate him and they, he denies it and they deny it. And to, at, at five o'clock of the following morning, he says, uh, okay, I, I did it. I did it. Just, just off whatever I say, what I did yep. it. Yep. And, uh, that's the only part of the interrogation that lasted for hours under unbelievable circumstances hmm. that is tape recorded if they tape recorded every bit of it and if it would the the, the, the matter could would would be very would be shortly handled in the mm-hmm. court of law mm-hmm. um, and then i think that all police have to wear all with some of them are doing it now but all police have to wear video cameras that fully reveal their total conduct. You know, and they can't turn them off. If they yeah. turns it off, it's presumed to be it's presumed to be um, to, to, to be hiding some improper conduct. Right. We have to have better psychological testing for cops. Now, the bigger cities claim that they they do test the cops. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, the major law force law enforcement officers in this country say that they are testing their police officers but um, those tests don't do anything they, they they don't reveal they have been proven to be utterly in unsuccessful except for providing the police department the the um, defense of saying well we t- tested this officer and he passed <laughs> But I have to say that if we can select the most qualified people to travel to the moon, mm-hmm. armed with only the American flag, surely we can do a better job of selecting a means by which to select our police officers who travel our streets armed with pistols and clubs. You know, it's a, it, you bring up a great point. And right, right here in Scottsdale, where I live, uh, we had a police officer. And this won't shock you, even though it's shocking. He killed six people over a nine-year span. And the last was a grandfather holding his grandchild in a TV remote. And he was shot from 15 feet in the head. Uh, that one resulted in a $14.5 million settlement here. And then he was finally allowed to retire on a disability, getting $4,500 a month. 
after killing, he, he shot seven people and six of them he murdered. Uh, three of them ended up uh, with, uh, you know, uh, legal settlements. But how does, and, and, and we'll, we'll kind of move to a close after this, but when you look at these things you're saying, I mean, you, you bring up a great point, is the selection of these officers and the testing of these officers, but how in the world can a police department or a city or community allow somebody like that to stay on the job without massive massive testing? You understand, Mark, that if that that those who seek to be police officers have a need for some reason, some basic underlying need mm-hmm. to be in power right. and to control people. Right. And so it's it, the self-selecting process is one that could be avoided if if um, if, for example, we drafted our police right. Um, and let them and had them serve. You, you know, a carpenter would make, or a music teacher, or or somebody that's out, a farmer that's out working the fields, is somebody that doesn't have a need to control. And right. and if we could get good young people drafted to do this, let them serve for a year or a couple of years, and let them go back to where they were, pay them a good salary. Mm-hmm. It might, but this is this is all dreaming, isn't it? <laughs> we, we we you know unless we dream, we never get to where we need to be, though, Jerry. So let me let me uh, we're, we're kind of getting to the end of our half hour here, and I just wanted to ask you a, a couple of uh, just get your thoughts. And, and and Jerry, it's obvious to anybody who knows you and does your reading that you, you love this country, you love America, and you love our Constitution and the goodness and the wisdom of ordinary regular citizens. And you've spent your life fighting to protect uh, the most precious freedom we have, which is the right to a jury trial and judgment by your fellow citizens. And I've I've told people, you know, uh, we we continue to go see these people that are giving over to mediations and uh, agreeing to give up their rights uh, to a trial. And you know, once those rights are given up, uh, they don't ever come back. So I, I'd like your thoughts just in closing on. The appreciation people have for the right to a jury trial and civil rights in general, and and how do we start to train our children and adults again, and what you and I growing up used to call civics, and, and get people this understanding of the unique power of our Constitution and Bill of Rights and to protect individuals. I mean, what this if we can kind of get your last thoughts on that? Um, you know, it is the last it is the last line of defense against tyranny, isn't it? Well, it is, but you, what you're asking for is how do, um, how do we um, re-educate our people? Right, yep. And that is a long, slow process that comes out of pain. That mm-hmm. is the same question that the, our forefathers are the the constant those who who created our constitution faced how do we how do we take a people who have been subjected to the sovereignty of the king mm-hmm. and that's where we are today we are a people under the sovereignty of corporate america and money how do we take these uh, people and reeducate them and it was has been a long hard 
process and it came out of pain and struggle in the, in the in the establishment of America it came out of a revolutionary war as you remember mm-hmm. um, it is not what I'm suggesting here but there has to be a revolution of sorts there has to be a it, it comes out of out of pain it'll come out of the kind of pain that we are beginning to see in this country in in this Yes. Uh, that are being suffered by the minorities in the country. And when that pain reaches a certain level, the people will say we have to change things, and the people will be heard. Jerry, that's a wonderful way to end this interview, and uh, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. And, uh, you know, we're going to do everything we can to uh, let people know how to find your, your book. It's Police State, How America's Cops Get Away with Murder. The author and our guest has been Jerry Spence. Uh, we will have links to Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and all the different places that you can find this. And, and Jerry, uh, uh, again, just thank you so much, uh, You know, not just for this book, but for a career uh, doing that long, slow, and painful process of uh, not just uh, representing the poor and the, the broken and the people who are desperate, but also taking the time to educate uh, citizens, but also educate new advocates uh, to uh, pick up this torch and carry it forward and, uh, you know, continue that uh, painful, slow, but hopefully ultimately successful process of uh, wa- reawakening people to the fact that their liberties are being taken away from them. Thank you, Mark. And I wanted just to say as I leave you that your questions have been thoughtful, well thought out, and they are important questions. And it's been an honor to try to talk with you about them. Great. Thank you, Jerry. Happy holidays to you and your family, and uh, I hope to have you on again sometime in the future. Okay, well, we're back uh, just after a brief break, and again, we want to thank uh, Jerry Spence. Um, You know, Jerry has uh, spent uh, almost 60 years uh, as a lawyer, an author, a lecturer, an advocate, um, you know, this book, we, we really, uh, you know, uh, we encourage people to read this because it is a great compendium of cases and situations from the 70s to the 80s to the 90s, you know, specific cases, cases I had forgotten about. Uh, yeah, people would be shocked to find out that there was a time in Utah where a family who was homeschooling their children, it escalated to the point that they were shot and killed over the refusal to release their children to the state for their compulsory, mandatory public education. And that's almost unthinkable now, given where we are with charter schools and homeschooling, but there was a time uh, where people were murdered over this. Uh, when we look at Randy Weaver and what happened in this, the, 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 the SWAT team uh, essentially framing a, a again somebody who is on the fringes of society uh, creating a violation uh, surrounding him with marshals and SWAT teams murdering his child murdering his wife uh, shooting these people uh, and uh, Jerry Spence stepping up and being able to uh, essentially uh, free this person who was going to spend a lifetime in prison uh, Imelda Marcos we it gets into that story you know the uh, abuse 
uh, many times at the FBI, of prosecutors' offices. We really want to encourage you to get this book. Uh, I think you'll you'll enjoy it. I think it is thought-provoking. I think it is extremely well-written. And it is a summary of the, the wisdom and the experience and, uh, you know, the, the bitterly learned lessons of one of the great trial lawyers in American history. So, again, thank you. We will have a link to this. It's Police State, How America's Cops Get Away with Murder, Jerry Spence. And next week, uh, along this line, uh, we are going to take a look at and hope to have in some really uh, thought-provoking and equally high-quality guests to discuss uh, issues around the Second Amendment. It is a big issue right now, post-San Bernardino and what's going on, and uh, the passions are inflamed on both sides of this issue. Uh, people who, uh, gun rights, and people who believe that uh, ownership of guns should be restricted. Uh, what we want to be able to do is come in and talk about the legal issues involved in this, the constitutional issues. And we try to stay away from politics as much as we can on the show, but people do come in with a point of view, and we honor that point of view, and we want to give them an opportunity and forum to express it. But at the end of the day, we want to really talk about uh, what does the law require. And then the, the other topic that we really do want to take on is what is going on in college campuses in the First Amendment, how we see professors, speakers, people who do not have popular views being shouted down, uh, being... Uh, losing their jobs, their careers being threatened, uh, being harassed uh, by people who don't uh, feel safe or no longer honor an opposing point of view. Uh, again, it's a uh, it's an issue that harkens back to a frightening era in uh, in world history when we begin to see people say that certain types of speech are no longer acceptable or no longer make people feel uh, make people feel safe and need to be ended. So. Uh, went a little bit longer today, but when we get a great guest like Jerry, we give him as much time as we possibly can. And uh, again, we get, we thank him. We appreciate him for coming in. We thank you for listening. Uh, this is our second week. We are going to continue to bring in great guests and great topics. Uh, like us on Facebook. Go to Speaking of Justice on Facebook or the Legal Broadcast Network. Uh, we mentioned LegalBroadcastNetwork.com is our page. And if you have a guest, if you have a topic, if you have somebody you would like to suggest that we interviewed, just drop me an email. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Send us a suggestion. Uh, this is an open forum. We do not discriminate on any one side of the polit political spectrum. All we ask for is a polite and informed discussion on legal issues. I'm your host, Mark Wallstrom. This has been a great podcast, in my opinion. I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed having Jerry Spence in. We hope to have you back in to listen to us next week. Tell your friends and share the podcast. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.